Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill and this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Uh, Each week um, we highlight an addiction story relating to drugs, alcohol, gambling or food. Um, Our guests share their recovery experience and hope that their story can encourage others who want to change their lives. Uh, Today my guest is Shane, who's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he'll be sharing how AA has helped him to recover from alcoholism. Welcome, Shane, first. Thanks, Bill. Um, So you've only been in AA, what, about 100 days? Yeah, 104 days up today, sobriety. Okay, that's cool. Um, So... What we usually talk about is um, growing up, what happened, what life's like now in, in AA, and sort of look at your, your story and the things that happened to you over your life and the things that influenced you into alcoholism and continuing to drink and the things that influenced you to stop drinking and, um, yeah, just give people, a, I guess, a, um, a snapshot of what it's like to be an alcoholic and what it's like to get out of it mm-hmm. yeah okay so um what was your family life like growing up uh family life was good i um you know as a young child both supportive parents um my dad worked in the hotel in- industry so I, I grew up around alcohol um sort of you know running around public bars on a saturday morning wasn't unusual you know playing pool and free lemonades as a jukebox a little bit of fun um my mother passed away when I was 11, um, which was uh, quite sudden. It was a workplace accident. She was taken overnight, so I saw, I saw her go and never saw her come home again, which was a very hard hard thing to deal with. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, we, at that time, that was 88. Uh, you know, we, we, we tried to do some counselling, um, my dad, my brother and I, which got nowhere, you know, it's it's not like what you have today on offer um, for the help and support out there. Um, so alcohol was a big part of my uh, in-house at the time. Um, my dad, my father was, a, was an alcoholic. Um, so my, my drinking my drinking career, and I, I, I say the term career because it did come first in my life for the last 30 years. Um, so I started around 12 to deal with the, um, the grief and the loss of mum. And and it helped. It worked. It, it it got rid of the the pain and the thoughts that I couldn't cope with. Um, and I, I became a weekend binge drinker. Um, it wasn't long, you know. Progressively became sort of a few weeknights as well. Um, problem is with that. Along the way, it managed to. It became the problem became so apparent that. Uh, it was taking away every other emotion. So when there was happiness or joy or anything, you know, good to even have a celebrate, to have a drink over, it, it it didn't have the effect of what it would normally bring about. It would it would it would eliminate what was going through my mind at the time, and then um, then it was just into a binge blackout drinking session. Yeah, each time. Um, okay. 
Yeah. So did you use anything else? Yeah. So I, um, you know, it wasn't long before I started um, using smoking marijuana, um, probably around the age of 15. Uh, that was a, went on for about 15 years as well. Um, in my late teens, early 20s, experimented in some party drugs um, for a few years. Um, all good and well, but but the drinking the drinking never stopped. They kept going along along with it. Okay, so what did your family think? Uh, obviously, your dad wouldn't have been too worried. I shouldn't imagine. No, no, dad was dad wasn't. Funnily enough, like your yeah, dad, as I said, growing up in the, around alcohol his whole life as well. Um, he, th- he, I remember when I was about fourteen, he thought it'd be good for us to have a hobby. My brother and I. So he, uh, my brother was a couple of years older than me. Uh, he got the homebrew kit. Because uh, <laughs> I know, ironically, because uh, it would keep us at home, and and you know, we 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 loved that. We thrived on making you know the beers, and you know it was quite a process, but uh, it was a reward at the end of the day. And and when you're making it for about, I think it worked out to be about seven cents a, a <laughs> bottle. It was like you know this is unbelievable. And uh, you know you're supposed to obviously I don't know, pill have made it before. You're supposed to wait two weeks, at least two weeks, and the longer the better. But I, I don't think a bottle ever lasted two weeks. It just <laughs> crack it open. Um, but as long as we were home, he, we were safe. He didn't have any any concerns. You know, as I said, I don't think he saw the issues in alcohol in what they they, they were at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did your brother? Was your brother? Was he a drinker too? He, was a, he was a drinker too. He was yeah. more of a he was more of a weekend binge drinker. Um, yeah probably to the extent where not as bad as I was, I became more weak week week day, um, earlier than him. Um I was going around to a lot of pubs back in those days. So in those days too, it was the early nineties, um, access to pubs was a lot easier than it is these days. Um you just had to be with someone who was over at the age of eighteen and yep. you could be underage. Okay. So yep. I was going with them. They would buy the beers. I was like, and even now I was never getting asked for ID anyway. So um yep. Yeah, you know, access to alcohol wasn't an issue, um, which I guess was, you know, part of the problem as well. It was just so readily available. Yeah. So, did your friends drink as well? My friends drank as well. Um, again, they they didn't drink to what I like to drink to the standard, I guess, so to say. <laughs> I, I was I was the type of person who was the last one there, and I, I was I was always baffled as to why people wanted to stop and go home early. It's like, yeah. you know, but it's only, it's only midnight. Time. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's two in the morning. We can go here. We can go. There's places open until five in the morning. I could never work it out. Yeah. Uh, I was the type of guy that went, when we went to a, a, a pub, a pub or a club, or I, I would I would strategically pick out three or four different people who I know that would continue. continue. Yeah. And I'd get in a shout with these other people. So I yeah. knew there was a constant supply of alcohol coming because – the, the pace of what I was drinking as well, no one was keeping up. So, yep. you know, I would always be getting a, a wedge, so to speak, in the drink we used to call it, or I'd be in a chat with them, so they'd bring a beer over. They'd bring a beer over. And, okay. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. So, <laughs> so the friends were there, but never, yeah, never drank to the to, to what I was going through or right. dealing with. Okay. So you were you know, sort of in your late teens. So how were you uh, supporting yourself in this drinking? So I was work. I've worked or... You know, pretty much since I could, I've been doing paper rounds from a young age. I would do weekend work. Um, as I said, the price of alcohol in those days wasn't what you are paying these days. Yeah. I don't know how people can actually afford a drink <laughs> these days. Um, I was always always supporting myself. And as I said, the homebrew was uh, 
quite a, a, a money-saving way of doing it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, again, strategically plan your weekends. We had a number of pubs in the Bayside area would go to, which it would have dollar pots um, between certain hours. So yeah. between five and six, you'd be at one one. Then six to seven, you go to the next one, and then the next one, and then along you'd be meeting people along the way, and then yeah. you know okay. it was just a yeah <laughs> party, yeah. party time, yeah. yeah. So what about uh, relationships? Um, yeah, look, it's it's always been a strain um, on relationships. Um, I guess my 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 drinking combats a lot of fear. I'm, I'm riddled with a lot of fear in my life, um, fear of loss. Stemming back to my mum passing, I um, I have a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety when it comes to being close to someone, especially the female figure in my life that I'm going to lose them as well. Um, whether it be to death or an, another relationship, they might find someone else, but then that will be rejected and I'll be abandoned again, uh, abandoned, and. Um, so that you know, I drink more on that, and um, it's my. I, I went through a marriage breakdown. Um, still going through that for the last two and a half years. Uh, current relationship at the moment, having a few issues at the moment, but we're working through that. Um, so look, it hasn't. It certainly hasn't supported the uh, the cause of a relationship. If anything, it's 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 it had the opposite effect. Yeah. Um, because of the uh, you know the ways it went around my drinking as well, which. Um, yeah. Okay, um, so what sort of a? Um, I guess when you when you got married, living in a close relationship with somebody and drinking is difficult. So how did you get around that? Yeah, so um, so my wife, she she was she was a person that could have one beer on a Saturday and watch football, and that's all she would have. Um, I uh, I my heaven was quite extensive. Um, she wasn't a big fan of it. Um, and I basically was banned from drinking in the house. So to combat that, I became a a secret, deceitful drinker, and I would go out of my ways to have alcohol stashed anywhere I could um, around the house. Obviously, beer and wine, uh, which was my usual drink. I couldn't go there anymore for obvious reasons of the smell and. Mm. So uh, I got to a point where I was I was buying a bottle of vodka on the way home from work and smashing as much as I could in 15 minutes just to get that relief and get that feeling out of my head where I wasn't living with those thoughts. Um, and, and it worked. It eased the pain, but I would then be topping up all, all night. Um, a scenario which was probably my go-to, I used to uh, hide the bottle in the fuse box near the rubbish bin. Uh, I did I did all the cooking at home. I, I enjoy cooking. And I, uh, I somehow managed to find a, a reason to put the rubbish out five times a night <laughs> so I could go out there and, and keep topping up. And, and this was went on for a number of years. Um, she would occasionally pull me up on it. She suspected if I had one too many, I started slurring a little bit and I would just deny Deny, deny, deny. You know, it's very deceitful, uh, and it wasn't a good way. You know, you, you're living two lives, and it's it's not, you know, it's not healthy, and you can't you can't keep up that charade forever. You know, so um, yeah. So, did it interfere with your work? Um, not directly. Like, it got to the point where I was I was drinking at work. Um, I was drinking before work, during work, after work. Um, 
I always did work. I never, I never actually took a day off work due to a hangover or due to not feeling right. I would always front up. I'd always get the job done. Um, a, I guess the responsibility, as deceitful as I was with drinking, I still had the responsibilities with work. I was, I was in a role where to, I ne- yeah. needed to be there. Um, whatever got me through the day. Um, but yeah, it did look. It did have an impact on on work at, at some point. I did get um, questioned a couple of times in regards to if I'd been drinking. Um, again, sort of talked my way out of that one. Um, but reality was is that I was, and um, you yeah. know, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you ha- ever have any drink driving issues? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've had. Uh, I've had. Uh, few uh issues with that i've uh lost my license uh four times over over the 22 year 24 year period uh just to put it in perspective i guess i i got my license when i was 18 uh for the first five years of holding a license i only had a valid license for 10 months well i lost it twice uh i lost it quite early uh, after getting it blowing quite high quite high very high reading um got my license back and wasn't long after got caught again with a very high reading and they doubled the um the time of suspension on that one so basically for the first five years i was unlicensed but i ironically didn't drive because in my mind that was breaking the law but yet i was (laughs) drink driving driving, yeah (laughs) um so look yeah i was a chronic drink driver um Ten years went by, and I got pulled in a, into a booze bus. And um, unfortunately, yeah, I had just a, I was only a little bit over, but you know, a little bit's a little bit. And um, yeah, did it again there. So, um, and that, but that, that led me into seeking, um, you know, some counselling for my for my problems with alcohol. Because it's almost at that point I realised, you know, there there was a problem. There might have been. A problem. There might have been yeah. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so we might take a break. The 3CR Radiothon is fast approaching. And this year, we're asking you to power Radical Radio. That's right. It's with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon 2019, June the 3rd to the 16th. Power Radical Radio. Uh, You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, 3CR on digital radio and live streaming through 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. We've got about 80 episodes of the show available as podcasts uh, on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. So check, you can check them out. Yeah, if you want to send us a message, uh, then you can contact us via 3CR on 03 9419 8377 or email us uh, 3 at com, And we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. I'm talking with Shane, and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism uh, with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so before the break, we were talking about losing your license. So 
what what impact does that have on your life losing your license so at that at that point um i was i was managing uh working for a covenant making business where i was managing the factory down there um wasn't too far from work it was about 10k so I, I was on the push bike um riding riding to and from work each morning um you know, it was rain, hell, or shine. Sort of had to do it because the game didn't want to drive because that would be breaking the law. So, ironically, again, it's just you know, it's just try and figure it out. Um, so anyway, after about a week or so of this, I, I you know, I was feeling a bit more energetic. I, I started to um, incorporate a bit of running into my afternoons as well because I, I found between the hours of three and six were those real witching hours where i was really having those mental cravings the mental obsession for a drink if i could just get through to six o'clock then it would be dinner time i'd be doing stuff with the, my, my kids with the homework and bedtime mm. and, and then i'd be fine uh so i started running and it, it started out with maybe one or two k's for the first week and i'm quite out of breath uh, as i said i wasn't wasn't that fit at the time um, which progressively within a month or two, I was running five to 10 Ks, uh, then got to a point where I was running 15 to 20 Ks a day. So I'd ride to and from work, run for two hours. Um, that mental obsession that revolved around the alcohol had now been taking over with exercise. Yep. Um, to the point where that's all I thought about. Um, so I, I managed to get up about 18 months sobriety. Um, probably not a true sobriety, there would have been a little bit of, um, pot involved here and there um just when times were a bit too too much uh to handle um but i got myself in a situation where i blew my knee out um trying to go too far a run uh, i was in a moon boot for a few months so the exercise stopped um at that point i um had my license back so i was able to drive to work in, in the moon boot um but then it got to a point where i thought you know 18 months, I've, I'm, I'm better. I'm, I, I can have a drink. And, you know, that, that mental obsession's gone. Uh, and I, I remember the day distinctly. I remember I went and bought a four-pack of ciders. Uh, I didn't even buy six, I just bought four. And I had those. And um, and sure enough, the next day, I was I was straight back into a bottle of vodka. Yeah. A lot like of people that. don't realise that when you stop drinking, you don't start gradually and build up you just go back to that same level very quickly yeah very, yeah, yeah very quickly um i thought you know i could manage just a couple of sides a night and that would be enough and but no i was straight back into where i left off 18 months ago and um and, and probably worse to the point where at this stage i was um trying to come up with every sort of scenario where i can con- control it where uh i'd go and buy the half bottle of vodka uh and just have that for the day but then I'd have that, and then I'd be on my way down to the shops to get a, you know, a loaf of bread, which was, you know, the other half bottle of vodka. Then uh, there was an instance where I, I thought I'd just buy the little one fifty mil bottles. Um, there was, I remember one day distinctly, I'd, I'd walked into the shop six times, uh, and after the same lady served me, I was quite embarrassed, and she looked at me and she said, well, "You know, why, why didn't you just buy the whole bottle?" And I said, "Because I knew I'd drink the whole thing. I thought I could control it." And what have I done? I've actually gone and bought more than I would have buying the whole bottle and spent a lot more. But this this is the mind thought. I'm trying to control in my mind that if I do it this way, I can control it and and I've got a handle on it. And at the end of the day, the the mental obsession uh, just 
and then the physical allergy that goes along with it. It was just that that vicious circle on a daily occurrence. Um, you know, there'd be instances where I would just, I would think, I'll drink everything that's in the house tonight, and I'll start tomorrow. I won't drink, uh, and I'd do that, and <laughs> and then I'd wake up the next morning and just have that restless, irritable discontent throughout the whole day, and convince myself, no, I'm not going to drink, not going to drink, and then before I know, it, I'm in a bottle shop buying another bottle, and I'm right back where I am. Where it just was a never-ending cycle. There was no, there's no controlling, there's no controlling way about it. Was, once, you, once you start, yeah, yeah, it's all. It's like so. It's like with the exercise. It's all or nothing. I can't just run five k's. I had to run at fifteen or twenty. I can't just have one drink. I've got to have, you know, it's the old saying: one drinks uh, too, too many. Too many. Hundred is not enough. Yeah. So, as as you're progressing, then your wife must be getting a bit worried about your behaviour. Yeah. So, yep. what? so are we? That, this probably led towards the the breakdown of the marriage too. I, we would. I would, uh, I would segregate myself uh, to the point where I, I didn't want to get busted as far as, far as she could smell it or the, yep. or the slurring. So I'd isolate myself in another room, or you know, got to the point where we're sleeping in separate rooms. And I thought this is okay. I can then, you know, I'm, I'm getting away with it. But I'm in control. I'm in control. But I, you know, I, I lost, I lost all control a long time ago, um, and you know, I got to the point where, you know. I was asked to leave the house uh, via the police, and um, and that's what happened there. And uh, so again, it's been a bit of a court issues going on in the last couple of years, which uh, hopefully got some resolution in July. So um, get rid of all, have to get that sorted out, and yeah, and move forward. But um, yeah, okay. So buying wine to drink, and and as you're talking about before using in cooking so what's the what's the mechanism of bringing more wine into the house oh yeah so th- this is another one of my little little plans i that <laughs> i would think up which you know, i had everyone fooled so i used to do uh all the cooking in the house i love to cook so I- i'd go out of my way to find recipes that, that had alcohol in-, in them uh so I'd, I'd find a recipe that required uh a, a tablespoon of sherry so of course i'd go down and buy the bottle of sherry um my wife didn't know how much was required for the recipe so uh you know i would manage to go through that bottle of sherry in that night uh or i'd buy two and or it's same with the wine i always buy multiple and you'd have your what i would say the the display bottle or your decoy bottle then you'd have your go-to bottle which you could drink all that one and then you could just then top you know just keep rotating the bottles around so (laughs) you know i thought i had this whole thing worked out and as i was saying if if the amount of effort and thought I put into living this life, this, this web of lies. If I had to put that much effort into actually managing my life in a better, positive way, yeah. I, I, you know, as I said before, you'd be, I'd be running the country by now. You know, <laughs> but it's just, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, what was the trigger then for your separation? Um, well, obviously, like I said, the police got involved, um, asked me to, to, to move out. Um, she took an intervention order on me. Uh, I didn't even know at the time what it was for. Like, we were, we were, we were, there was a few verbal arguments going on. There was never any, any physical violence or anything like that. Um, I, uh, I remember when the police came the first time and asked me to leave and I said, well, I'm not sure what you're here for. I'm not going anywhere. And they, and they agreed, look, we can't make you leave. I said, as long as you don't 
caught this any and I was to talk to her yes, and I didn't and I actually wrote a, wrote on a bit of paper saying you know as per the police I have to leave and sure enough they turned up the next day again and I said look I don't have to go anywhere and then they turned up a third time with an intervention order and from there I had 10 minutes to pack my stuff and get out so mm. um from there, I actually I took I, I took myself up to Sydney, um, put myself into uh, Odyssey House, into a detox unit for for a week, um, trying to trying to do what everyone wanted me to do, not what I wanted to do. Because at this stage, I you know yeah. I didn't think I had a problem. Yeah. You know, I wasn't You're just people pleasing. People yeah. pleasing, exactly yeah. right. Uh, so I, I did that. I white knuckled that for six days. Got out. Um, I remember I got out Melbourne Cup Day and uh, I thought, well, I've got to go put a bet on. It's the right thing to do. Uh, went to a pub and had a pot and after that I was straight back into the bottle shop with a, a bottle of vodka and, you know, back to Melbourne a week after that and, and nothing changed. I went straight back into uh, my heavy daily drinking. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> what, what caused you to, to think that, maybe the drinking was more of a problem to you um, as it appeared to be to everybody else? I guess the main instance that really stands out is I did become to a point, I came to a point where I was hospitalised. Um, I was staying with a an old schoolmate of mine who was a, a nurse at Monash ED and, and he noticed some changes in me. I wasn't feeling, I was running a bit rough for a couple of days and... Um, he was looking at me. He said, "Mate, you're looking quite jaundiced. He goes, Are you itchy?" I said, "Yes, I'm, you know, quite itchy." He goes, "Mate, come, I'm taking you to the hospital." They um, took me straight through triage, did a few blood tests. Um, half an hour later, they said, "Mate, you're not going anywhere. We're going to admit you right now. Your liver's failing." Um, for the next week, my bloods were kept going up through the roof. They couldn't work out what was. They thought I was going out each day and topping up drinking to the. Because yeah. the bloods weren't reducing, and they couldn't work it. They ended up doing biopsies. After two weeks, I was in there. Um, I discharged myself because I was getting nowhere. Um, and that, look, they warned me. They said, "Look, if you drink within the next one or two years, it's it's game over." Um, I lasted about three months. I, I was doing my regular liver tests um, from a GP, and, and the, the results were coming back positive. Um, so I slowly started slipping back into that that drinking pattern. Uh, it wasn't straight back into the bottle a day, but it wasn't long until it progressively got to that point again. Um, still do the liver test now, um, or during that when I was still drinking and, and they were within the... Acceptable limits. Acceptable limits. Yeah. So, you know... It's, yeah, it's cool. It's a green light, so to speak, for me, and, um, you know, didn't think much of it. But um, definitely the, the health the health issue there was the, the main, the main um, eye-opener that there was some trouble ahead you know and that wasn't going to be a long life for me if I keep going that way okay Um, so what about relationships did you manage manage to have people who would support you yeah I did I got a lot of support but I Mm. um, I got a lot of support but also I guess went back to my ways of keeping a secret to the point where they knew I was drinking but not to the extent of what I was drinking so I would have a, you know, I'd have a few drinks with them, but I'd have my my other bottle stashed away somewhere, or a bottle in the car, or a yeah. bottle under the bed, and um, and I, I guess you, you use the term functioning alcoholic. You know, I became a sort of highly functional alcoholic where where it wasn't detected so much at work or around other people. You know, I'd need to have that 
almost whole bottle before you you would see the signs. I'm sure people could see the signs, but in my mind, they couldn't because yeah, yeah. uh, otherwise they would say something. Um, so, you know, the, the support was there. I just um, just didn't, hadn't quite accepted the fact that I was alcoholic at that at that point in my life. Right. So what triggered you to start, you know, thinking that things could be better if you didn't drink? Um, I guess they got mm. to a point where I had a breakdown again with a current partner. Um, we're sort of having a, a break at the moment. Um, I was staying on a few um, couch hopping between houses at this time. I waited for a house to become available, which I was moving into. Uh, and that was around Australia Day weekend. And I, um, I'm there there now. And, and I, I was having a lot of fear and anxiety about living on my own. I, I don't like being my own and I never have. Um, I sort of, you know, I can't, I can't sit peacefully within my own head because I have all the thoughts. I need to be either out doing something, listening to music, uh, drinking, Sort of go hand in hand, um, yeah. So that's sorry. Just, yeah, that, that's good. I was just going to say, what sort of triggered? It's about relationships and people supporting you, but yeah, yeah. also what triggered you to finally look for help? Yeah. So I, I saw the you know the writing was on the wall. So <laughs> in this in this relationship, you know, it would get to a point where um, it was acceptable for me to be drinking. Um, there would be times where we'd be, you know, doing a share bottle of wine over dinner. I'll go, I'll go and get it, and I would get something extra to top up because uh, I knew a half bottle of wine wasn't going to be enough. Um, and, and she, she knew what was going on, and she was, and I was always honest with with her about this. There was never any lies. Um, I, did, I didn't want to go down that path of, of being that deceitful liar anymore. Um, so it's always been open and honest, and plus she she, she could pick it a mile away. She's like a ninja with it when it came yeah. to, to <laughs> detecting it. Um, love her dearly. So, yeah, I guess once that breakdown happened, um, I realised then like it's I'm going to just slip back into that daily isolated drinking pattern where I won't answer the phone, I won't see anyone, I will. Go to work, get the job done, get out of there. Um, you know, and, and in, in those end days, or in, you know, I got to a point where it was a period where if I wasn't sleeping, I was drinking. Um, yeah. You know, I was out before work drinking, um, topping up during the day. Uh, the periods of my life where that was the um, the instance. And yeah. you know. so, so what's that like? What does it feel like to be that far down? Uh it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a pretty place. Um, like I said, it, it's 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 like the alcohol stopped working. Um, the first initial drinks would 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 do what I was wanting it to do. It would sort of numb the thought in my head, but then it was just a constant top up to try and keep that that peace in my head. Um, you know, the it's it's said in AA like the the alcohol's not my problem. It's just the solution to my problem. My problem's a lot more deep seated than, which stems way back to passing on my mum, and that's where we've managed to isolate where it all all comes from. That's where all the fears lead, lead from. Um, so I'm making positive changes in my life now, um, especially especially through AA to 
to work on these um, these issues and, and the problems that are actually causing the, um, the drink. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a break there. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. And you're listening to uh, Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm talking to Shane and we're talking about recovery from the effects of recovery from the disease of alcoholism um, and how AA can help. So um, coming into AA, so when you come into AA, you're often at the lowest point. So what's that like? Um, For me... um God, I've had AA sort of offered to me throughout the years through psychologists and GPs, and but, and, but never thought it was for me. Um, I remember what got me into the rooms was I when I first when I moved out to this house on that straight A weekend. I couldn't bring myself to go in the house. I sat outside for about two days just on a, on a bender, and um, you know I thought I had two choices here: I, I can keep doing this and, and, and live a lonely, slow death, which was inevitable or i can um you know do something about it so i um i looked into aa and and it was a meeting not far from me so i went down there for my first one and uh, very anxious you know because I, I had an image in my head what aa was about um and, and look to be honest i got in and got out I, I sat there i listened to people share and identify um but i was very anxious got in got out and um and you know went home and, and drank on that because uh, I was feeling, again, the, the angst, the depression. I was just thought, you know, I could identify with some of the shares, but again, it was a lot of an older crew. Um, next meeting I went to, funnily enough, was the one was the game changer because I um, was down at uh, Hampton on a Friday night and and I and I rocked up there and, and there there would have been about 20, 20 blokes standing at the front. I remember it distinctly because uh, they were all fit, young looking blokes. And um, I went up to one guy and tapped him on the shoulder and I, I sort of said quietly, mate, is there a meeting on here today? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, okay, thanks. And I'm assuming, I'm looking at these guys thinking they've got a sports presentation <laughs> night on. I'm going down the back room with all the older, you know, alcoholics. And so I went inside. Next thing I know, they've, they've all filed in, all these, peop- all these people. And I'm looking around the room and it's, it would have been about 50, 60 people in there. And they were all, all you know... Fit, happy looking, smiling. Um, they were, a lot of them were there to support a, a, a member who's doing guest share. Um, I got to share that for my first time that night, and um, and and really related. Really, really, I identified with a, a lot that was said. I felt like these. This is where I needed to be. These were my people, so to speak, because they understood. I understood where they were coming from, and I understood and and. It, at the end, um, as we did the serenity prayer, I, I, I tried to make my mad dash to the door as the previous <laughs> meeting, and, and uh, 
and I, I didn't get the opportunity. I had a, 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 a member come up to me and uh, not not bail me up, so to speak, but but just had a, a good chat about what was on offer at AA and the the unity and the support and um, you know he said I remember saying don't 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 get bogged down with everything that's on the walls at the moment don't don't worry about the words God or don't worry about the steps or anything like that at the moment he goes just focus on for AA recovery the main thing is just focus on one day at a time he goes get down to meetings don't pick up that first drink one day at a time and, and, and it'll work it, it the program will work, you know. It'll get you. It'll get yeah. you, yeah. yeah. And um, and from that day, that day on, I said that was a pivotal point that changed everything for me. Um, truth be told, and and I, I I did still have a little bit of alcohol left at home that night, and I I went home and I um I, I poured it out. I poured it in a glass and I, I sat there for an hour staring at it, and I, I had I had a couple of drinks of it, and then I tipped the rest down the sink, and and that that next morning was my first. My, my sobriety date, which is the second of Feb, but, but I'd never felt so remorseful after a drink, and I wasn't even drunk. It was just a drink because I felt like I've been shown this opportunity, and then I, I haven't picked up since, and I haven't even had the desire to pick up. And I've been getting the meetings. I've been doing what's suggested. I get the meetings every day. Um, done more meetings than days sober. Get a home group. Get service positions at multiple different groups. Um, got a sponsor. Uh, it's the, the things like that. I'm, I'm working through the steps. I'm on step three at the moment. Um, but I'm living one day at a time, which I haven't done for 30 years of drinking. I was always living tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. I think I knew the answers. To be living one day at a time, it's a feeling that I can't describe. It's 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 it's, it's, it's a grounded feeling. It's like you, there's no angst about what's going to happen. Or what has happened. Or what has happened. Yeah. And I think that's what's... Yeah, as I said, when I came to the rooms, I, I was ready. Like, I, I was ready to surrender. Like, I had nothing left to give as far as drinking. Yeah. Um, so I think for for the newcomer that, that comes to the rooms and is looking for for something in AA, um, there's, there's always something on offer. It's, there'll be people there to support you, um, no matter what, what stage you're at, whether you are... I, I guess some... You know, everyone there is there for their their reason and it's all different reasons but ultimately ultimately we're all there because we all share the same common theme we're alcoholics yep and you uh, want and you want to help someone else and you want to help someone else yeah. and, and that's the yeah. thing and yeah. so um you know when i see a newcomer we, we always get a random i, I sort of do that what was done to me i sort of like you know sort of block block the entrance or the, you know <laughs> have a bit of a chat and um you know get phone numbers like if if someone offers you a phone number, take it. Yeah. If 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 um, you know, I've got probably twenty, thirty, forty phone numbers in my in my phone, and I can call any of these members at any time of the day or night, and and they'll answer. If they don't answer, they'll call me back. Um, sponsorship. I've got an amazing sponsor. He's just been there every step of the way, especially in the last week. I've been it's been running really rough last week, and uh, you know, he, he's got me through it. So yeah. yeah. Thanks. So you, you said you've been drinking for 30 years. So uh, approximately how long ago did it stop working for you? Probably probably the last five years of the drinking career. Uh, use the term career again. Because yeah. my dad, my dad um, uh, got diagnosed with cancer. Um, so that, that's when the depression really kicked in for me. And um, 
the drinking was just a game. It was a way to escape. But at this point, I just had nothing in the mind to escape from. So I was just going through the motions of drinking. So probably that five-year period yeah. where it really stopped working. Yeah. It's a long time, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so um, I guess relationship issues and um, your own um, mental condition. So what comes first? So for me, uh, and I want to just quickly touch on a, on a meeting I had, um, which is one of the greatest meetings. They're all great meetings, by the way. Any meeting you go to, any of the rooms, they're fantastic. Went to this one particular one with, um, it was just myself and my sponsor and, and his grand sponsor. And it just came about by um, by coincidence. Uh, my sponsor rang me and said, what are you up to tonight? So I'm going to a meeting. He goes, my grand sponsor's in town. Do you want to catch up? We're going to go do a book study. I said, yep, let's do that. I like to go around different meetings. Anyway, we um, were running a bit late. He was a, he's a musician. He was, he was in over from the States performing. And he'd and been here for four nights. He'd done Perth, Adelaide. He was in Melbourne doing Sydney the next night. Um, so next thing I know, we're, we're in the hotel lobby. We're, we're, doing, we're having an ID meeting, just the three of us. Yeah. Uh, and he just got 30 years sobriety up, and I just got my 30-day chip. So here's this guy with 30 years on 30 day and, uh, and, and he's explaining to me uh, the structure of AA, his hierarchy, and he, explained, he goes, at the top is AA, then it's family, then it's work. And he, and, he, and he said, look, it's no disrespect to family or work, but he said, but without AA, there is no family and there is no work because anything he puts before AA, he'll lose. And, and I've experienced that not long ago. I... Sort of took the gas off the, put off the gas a little bit, and um, was putting a relationship before AA again, because um, I thought th- things were getting better. And um, then I, I slipped back into that thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, and um, and f- yeah, fell over, had, had a stumble block, but back on one day at a time. Didn't pick up. Didn't have a thought of picking up. Uh, like I said, 104 days sobriety. Um, haven't, had, haven't had the urge once to, to even have a drink. Have, hasn't crossed my mind to yeah. go into a bottle shop or anything like that. It's That's just, amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It, it's, 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 I yeah. can't describe how it... You know, it, it's obviously the, the support through A. It's what's in the rooms. It's, it's hearing people share. My sponsor said to me once, and I can't stress enough, he said, when you, when you, when you hear people listen to people share... Always listen to the similarities. Don't listen to the differences because alcohol is so cunning. If if you hear a difference and think, well, I'm not like that. I'm, that's not me. I'm different to that. It, it'll get you and, and it'll convince you that you're not an alcoholic and, you, and you'll turn to a drink. You know, listen to the similarities. Yes, that is me. I do that. Identify yeah. with that. Yeah. Take that in because that's 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 where it really gets you. Is identity being part of knowing you're around people that are going through exactly the same things. As I said, I think I mentioned earlier, I spent four years with a drug and alcoholic psychologist and I got more out of AA in one week than I did in four years of yeah. doing that because I sat there one-on-one every, every once a week and I thought I was the only one going through the situation and convinced myself no one drinks like me, no one has the obsession like me. Uh, it wasn't until I got into the rooms and it's like, well, hang on a second. Everybody. Everyone here is like me. Yeah. Um, they're all their, different. But they're all different, but yeah. in their own way, yeah, their own similar way. I, I identify with, with something, with every single share. It hasn't been one share I haven't identified with. Me. One word, one sentence, one line. Um, one one particular line which got me into the rooms as well, which I heard after I got into the rooms, was, um, you know, the rock bottom. Like a, 
people say you, you go through a lot of people hit their rock bottom, and uh, and I've I've been there many many times. I, I heard a saying once which resonates well with me is even rock bottom's got a basement, and that's where I went. That's what got me into the rooms because um, this one where I said it was either death or something else, and I chose something else, and I'm I'm loving life at the moment. Life couldn't be better. You yeah. know, I've got a lot of outside issues with courts and separations yeah. and these but these things you know they're out of my control at the moment i can yeah. just focus on one day at a time and just, just keep keep on my journey yep. so, yeah yeah that's right <laughs> okay um well if um if anybody would like to find out more about alcoholics anonymous uh then you can either phone them on one three hundred triple two triple two, or you can go online at aa.org.au um so we're just about uh at time uh so I'd like to thank Shane for coming in the 3CR studio um, today and sharing his Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. It's great. Thank you. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovering from drug addiction and we'll be joined by Melissa and Paul from Narcotics Anonymous. <clears throat> Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks again for listening to the Living Free Program.